Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Honor Cast, where people gather around a table and we discuss the films. You'll never discuss in a film space course. It is Chocktober 7. Ooh. Spoopy. We are here, and the pick was made by one Mr. Arthur Gordon. It's the Gordon. most wonderful time well, of the year. Welcome to Samhain, baby. Yes. Wow. So we are looking at a little romantic drama about uh, whether or not uh, Naomi Watts will get engaged called The Ring. And uh, very, very... What, Right. No, 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 it's but we we already did our romantic comedy quota a million times. Yes, yeah, it's it's. I would watch that movie. Yes, yeah. uh, it's it's spoop time, and uh, as Dustin has alluded, uh, this year you're telling me romance can't be spoopy. That's right. Um, there's this really good movie called Honeymoon? Spring uh, uh-huh. with spoopy romance. Have we talked about this? We have. We've I've seen it. And we've talked about it. That's right. It's good. We should watch. Have it. you seen Honeymoon? Spring. Uh, Honeymoon. Yeah, Honeymoon's real good with uh oh, oh crap. What's her name from Game of Thrones? Yeah, know. it's real good. Have you seen this? No. You gotta check this movie out, man. It's good. They're both good. They're, they're, they're both, both good love horror films. There's not a lot of those. Under, yeah. yeah, I would watch that. So we're gonna watch the 2002 Ring as what we we're not going to watch. We did watch. And Correct. We are going to talk. We're actually watch it right now. Whether or not Breckenmeyer and uh, <laughs> Naomi Watts get married. Poor man's Breckenmeyer. Yeah, Bobo Breckenmeyer. And poor woman's uh, Nicole Kidman. No, no, no you no, stop that. No, <laughs> you do not. Na- Naomi Watts is nobody's off-brand. She is, yeah, no. She's, she's wonderful. Great. She's got all that she's voltage great. compared to Nicole Kidman. You stop and that. Nicole Kidman is also great. She's okay. Yeah, I like Monster. her. Um, so yeah, but we've been doing this. Uh, this is the seventh of October, and uh, we decided that uh, we would all uh, pick our favorite horror movie. Is this where the franchise ends? And then we reboot it next year. Part seven is usually the end for a lot of lot of things. Uh, yeah, I think a reboot or a, a sequel that ignores previous continuity, maybe. Mm. Yeah, well, and that's an interesting idea. One of those coming out in a couple of weeks. Yes, in there. there is. Uh, it turns out though, we've done a lot of our favorite horror movies for October. Already. It's true. So uh, we, we imagine are, that we're having to go into our like our, our B tier favorite horror movies. <laughs> so, but yeah, well, we've done like thirty of these movies at this point now. So yeah, thirty plus seven or six times. Four to five, yeah. It's thirty plus and that one year one with four. So that one year, five. That one year we did two. Ooh. That's a good estimate. Good yeah, well, yeah. you know I can do math sometimes. But I'm impressed. You're an English major, so I don't expect it. No, I've never expect any of us to be able to do math. This is not a math cast. No. But in case you're tuning in for the very first time, no, it is not a math cast. There will be no logarithms or algorithms or uh, use of the hypotenuse and the squares of the other sides of the triangle. No, indeed, this is a analysis show, not a review show. And so what that means is that we're, there will be some spoilers uh, involved and so we'll we're going to avoid those for the first part of the show in doing this we are going to have a synopsis which is of course spoiler free we will have our thumbs up thumbs down reviews which will be spoiler free we'll play a game which will involve the mildest of spoilers of this film and other film perhaps in its orbit and then we get down to business once we get down to business we will find out whether or not Breckenmeyer and Naomi Watts will meet atop the Empire State Building uh, in this uh, again zany romantic screwball comedy known as the ring. So um, that is all I want to say at this point. Without any further ado, let's go ahead and identify our voices, though, so people know who you are. Who are you, sir? I am Arthur Gordon, and you start to play it, and it's like somebody's nightmare. Then suddenly, this woman comes on, smiling at you, right? Seeing you through this screen. Then when it's over, your phone rings. Someone knows you watched it, and what they say is, you will die in seven days. And exactly seven days later, a podcast is born. Oh no! Oh, that is the scariest. Everybody, movie stop watching ever. stuff that immediately. Is the worst. All right. Well, to my left, sir, who are you? My name is Dalton Stewart, and small children calling their parents by their first names kind of freaks me out. It is a very, <laughs> very strange. It's just jarring. Thing. It's weird. Yeah. yeah. It never stops being jarring. I don't like it. 
Yeah, I don't I don't like that either. Like, um, kid, you and your parents have not been through enough shit yet for you to go ahead and call them by their that's first true. name. That's true. You guys have there's not enough bridges have been burnt yet. That's there's accurate. no way. Hey Pops, what's your name? Uh, my name is Dustin Sells, and when you live on an island, you catch a cold. It's everybody's cold, and we are here uh, <laughs> talking podcasts. Uh, would you catch those as well? Yes, that's true. We have caught each other's illnesses more than once. Yeah, it, well, yeah. That, that that time the herpes went around was very, very tragic. Yeah, sorry about um, that, guys. <laughs> <laughs> my bad. Um, so uh, there you go. You know who we are and what we are about. Let's go ahead and do the thing, Arthur. Let's hear that synopsis, please. A journalist must investigate a mysterious videotape which seems to cause the death of anyone in a week of viewing it. Yep, that is what this movie's about. I nailed it. Yep. It's about herpes. And uh, so that's... <laughs> just keeps coming back. No, it just it never, it never leaves you alone. Yep. <laughs> Can't get rid of it, but you can spread sometimes, it to someone some, else. Sometimes you wish it'll kill you. Yeah, oh, but if you copy it and give it to someone else... Nope, still have still it. Still have it. Nope. <laughs> it's not at followers rules. <laughs> it doesn't work at all. <laughs> um, so, well, all right. Well, let's go ahead and hear um, our thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. I'm going to you first, Arthur, because you are the picker of the film. Dalton was curious as to why you liked it so much. So do I tell am. us why. I assume part of it's nostalgia. I mean, I watched this movie... Um, there's a lot of hype around it. I didn't see it in theaters, but I did see it in home, and I heard it was really scary, really spooky. I mean, this is 2002, so I'd have been, what's that, sophomore, junior year, roughly, right, in high school. Um, sorry, Dustin. Yeah, Dustin. I want to make sure that was clear that <laughs> we, it was high school. We, we could all feel you thinking about how we're young and you're He was old. out in the job force doing how, stuff. How I'd been out of college for a year. Yeah. Did you have any kids yet? Uh, not yet, no. They, okay. Were they close? They were, uh, first one was 18 months away. Nice. Okay. Very nice. Anyway, yeah, so a, a lot of it's nostalgia. I think I remember, like, I wanted to be scared by this movie, and yeah. I remember we lived out in the country, and so I, I bought, bought it or rented it or whatever and watched it and had all the lights off. I was in my room alone. You know, I wanted to be spooked. Uh, and I, I think it's really strong. I think its uh, atmosphere is great. I think Vabinsky puts to, together a very taut uh, kind of procedural here. I mean, it's a procedural with some ghost stuff in it occasionally. And and I think that I, I like that about it. I, I was reading some reviews, and I know some people find it boring or, you know, that there are plot holes and things like that. I think it overcomes a lot of those shortcomings uh, for me personally. Um, Naomi Watts is wonderful. Um, I watched this, and I was going to watch The Cure for Wellness afterwards mm-hmm. to get more Verbinski. Rather, I opted for more Naomi Watts, and I watched Mulholland Drive. Good choice. Yeah, I'm um, so excited you finally see hey, this movie. Hey, you've seen it now. Now you're ready to see it. I know. I need to yeah, rewatch watch it again. again and again and again until I can't puzzle it out at all anyway. Um, <laughs> but this is not that episode. I I like it. I, I, I think Naomi Watts is great. I, I think it holds up very well. There are a couple moments uh, with uh, – there's one thing in particular where I think the CGI doesn't. But I, I think for the most part, the, you know, things coming out of the screen – uh, works well still. I, I I think it kind of predicts some stuff as far as viral media and Absolutely. things of that nature. Um, and I I just think it's it's nice. I love the cinematography. I love those muted colors, and I I uh, I love the sequence on the ferry with the horse. Uh, oh. I think that's a very effective moment. Uh, the island Brian Cox is great here uh, in his minimal screen time. Um, and so there are a lot of things about it I appreciate. I I think in the two thousands there aren't a lot of horror films that stand out. Um, and so just by process of elimination, I think this is one of the better ones of the decade. And so I, I've always appreciated it. I've always enjoyed it. Um, I remember buying the DVD and you could watch the full, uh, there's an Easter egg where you could watch the actual video. And then once the video stopped, you couldn't skip it. You couldn't like stop it. And then once it ended, like a phone would ring on the TV 
That's fun. so. There's a, you know fun things like that happen, uh, and so I've I've just I always had an appreciation for it, and I've kind of always wanted to talk about it. Just the opportunity never came up, and so we've kind of worked our way down <laughs> to the B tier, as you say, and so it's an opportune time I think to talk about it. Awesome, awesome. Thank you very much for that. Well, Dalton, what do you say? Thumbs up, thumbs down review of the effectiveness of the film The Ring. Yeah, no, I, I think it's really good. This is only the, the second time that I've seen it, and uh, I, I did not catch that initial hype. I mean, I I think I was kind of the target audience. I mean, I think the, the PG-13 rating for this was a big part of why it was such a sensation when it came out. You know, that uh, larger audience it's immediately going to pull in uh, just by making it easier for teens to go see it. But I, I, I don't think the 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 ring ever pulls its punches i think it manages to work really well within that that pg-13 rating uh which is difficult i mean there's a lot of horror films that do operate in that pg-13 sphere and it, it hurts them sometimes but that you never feel that in this it, it always uh is working and it is always trying to be upsetting but again i don't, I don't have any nostalgia for it despite remembering vaguely when it came out um i I didn't really have any feelings attached to it. I liked it just fine the first time I watched it, but watching it this time, I, I was just... This is a visually gorgeous film. I mean, it just is so pretty to look at in a way that is intentionally kind of, uh, you know, muted, and it's 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 got these colors that really pop, but this, this intentional sort of uh, dreariness to it, both, you know, trying to capture that Seattle setting, uh, but also... I think trying to give this air of grief to the whole film. I, I really, really love just what uh, is going on with the color in this film. Uh, but it moves, man. This film is so well-paced. It's two hours long, and it never feels like it's running long at all. It just moves and moves and moves and moves. Uh, the one thing that I, I found myself thinking about a lot watching it is the fact that in 2002, VHS tapes were already on their way out the door. Uh, and I wonder if it's a film that got remade for American audiences maybe, you know, five to ten years too early. Because um, I'm curious what this film looks like if VHS is already an obsolete uh, format um, when the film comes out. Because does that require them to adapt it more? Does it require them to find a different, you know, does it become a film about the Internet? Um, and I'm, I've never saw the, uh, the much... Uh, uh, maligned rings the third film that just yeah. came out a couple of i think last year yeah that's right the, i as far as i know nobody saw but i assume that probably I oh does it deal with the internet yes it's yeah it's all viral media okay and yeah. that's kind of and that's i'm, I'm interested in if verbinski and naomi watts had been in the film that is about the internet is that a, a more interesting film yeah. or do we keep it about being vhs because i feel like this film will get uh, have a resurgence uh, with the generations who grew up without VHSs. I, I, I suspect that's a possibility, but I'm still curious w what this film would look like if it's set in a world where VHS is already completely obsolete and like kind of a rarity. Um, so it's, it's 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 interesting when this film is made, and I'm sure we'll probably talk more about this uh, in analysis because I think there's a lot here to talk about about technology. Uh, in the ways we interact with it. But it just, I kept thinking about it and honestly pulled me out of the film just that much thinking about uh, the function of VHS in, in this film. But it's strong, man. It really is. Uh, Naomi Watts' performance is great. Not Brecken Meyer is fine. Uh, yeah, take him or leave him. Yeah. He's, the, he's the weak link. The, the kid is appropriately cute and spooky at the same time. He looks like a tiny little man, which is always distressing. <laughs> yeah, I don't like that. Yeah, no, I don't ever care for it. But it's Naomi Watts' movie. I mean, she totally carries it. But uh, the, the the film, the video itself, is appropriately spoopy. 
Uh, as not Breckenmeyer says, it's very student film, which I think is a really fun moment in the film where after you've already been scared by it, somebody just totally dunks on it because yes, it is very like experimental student film. But uh, I don't know. I there's a lot to like here. I, I don't know that it you know blows the doors off my mind or anything. And I don't think it. it I, I don't think I like it as much as you do, Arthur. But there is quite a lot to love here. All right. Well, thank you very much for that, Dalton Stewart. Now, the question: Do I like the ring? Well, do you? Do I like Naomi Watts and everything? Yes. 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 Okay. So sold. Do I like a good mystery story? Yes. yes. Do I like supernatural elements? Yes. Do I like the idea of experimental film impinging on real life? Yes. Do I like the idea of technology and its influence and uh, pervasiveness and change to our society? Yeah, of course I like this movie. Okay, I mean, so what, all these things work for you. Yeah, yeah. No, of course this works for me. Uh, do I like uh, some surreal imagery? Uh, a little bit. Yeah. It, it's come up before. So, yeah, this Nails like, going through fingers just really uh, lights your candle. Oh, man, I, I like that. I, uh, the, the fire tree. Um, the fire tree. swarming good. bodies. Ooh, swarming bodies that turn into maggots. Big fan of that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, the, the 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 sort of a Hieronymus Bosch yeah, looking imagery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm all for all of this stuff. And uh, you know, and again, sort of this uh, Haley Joe Osmond Sixth Sense uh, kind of kid character. Yeah, I'm in for that too. Uh, Seattle like place being very very important to a film. It's it's doing all the things right. It's it's a great solid. Although sometimes and, and you I, hate horses, so really just I it's checking all your played boxes. right into his uh, wheelhouse. I've yeah. never hated horses. And I'm just doing a bit. That's not what you said off mic. I, I, I like horses very much. I believe what you said is gi- giant dumb dogs is what you said about them. <laughs> I know what you said about Secretariat. I, I didn't even see Secretariat. Yeah, uh-huh. You tell that to Seabiscuit. We know what you said about him, too. <laughs> Wild hearts can't be broken, man. That's <laughs> a guy coming up with another horse movie very We're quickly. joshing him. You guys got to see the black stallion tattoo he has on his chest. Damn, we could do a horse movie marathon. We, there are a lot I, of horse could, movies. Could, and we should. I'm glad you said my chest War not horse? where I actually have it. There are a lot of horse movies. Oh, what's the one uh, with the, the... Is it Viggo Mortensen? Didn't he have a horse movie? Hildago. Hildago. I love Hidalgo. I think he kept that horse. Oh, Viggo that's Mortensen, sweet. Famous lover of horses. <laughs> and me too. I like, nope, you're not, you're famous, not famous and you hate horses. I, I like horses very nope, you're much. not going to be friends with Viggo. I, I know how to work horse tack even. I, I, like, I know things about horses. You know what? That totally checks out, honestly. Okay, but I, I, I like the horses too. And that, that part made me sad. But it is very distressing. Nonetheless, what I'm trying to say is it is well-performed, well-paced, well-acted, um, visually well-realized, and it's an excellent, excellent, uh, though, as I said off mic, slightly tropey uh, horror film. And so, yeah, um, there's nothing for me to complain about. It's a movie I enjoyed very, very much. So there you go, dear listener. Our biases are generally pro, though some are more pro than others. Um, that is where we are coming from. Let's talk social media. Dalton, talk. Oh, do we have to? Uh, the, the internet. No. Okay, well, let's not do it. If they do, they'll die in seven days. That is a fact. Yes. Uh, we're on Twitter, at good underscore trash. That's a good place to find what we're doing and let us know what you think we should be doing and uh, have fun with us. Don't get on there if you're not already there. If you do not follow and retweet, you will die in seven days. That's a fact. We are technically on Facebook. That's facebook.com forward slash GTM. We don't do anything with that. Uh, we're technically on Instagram. We don't really do anything with that either. If you watch it, you'll die. It's uh, true. So maybe just don't. Don't do it. Maybe only get on the internet to put the show in your ears. That feels like good advice. There are a couple of other things you could do on the internet. You could send us a long-form email. That would be nice. That's goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com for that uh, that lengthy feedback. Uh, we always love hearing that. You can also rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes or Stitcher, however you put this in your ears. That's a nice thing that you can do for us. You can also 
go to Good Trash. Uh, whoop, nope, said that wrong. Patreon.com forward slash GTM. There we go. Uh, that's a very nice thing you can do for us on the internet. And you can go there and give us some money. And maybe we'll we'll do something nice for you, like give you access to our uh, tasty bonus content, Good Trash Nights. And uh, if you give us a lot of money, we'll send you a Blu-ray. It's true. It's yep. all true. Uh, yeah, that's it. That's social media. That's how you do it. Uh, you could also check out the other show that we have active, other shows we have active on Good Trash Media, The Praise Down with Heath and Alex. We're two spiritually curious uh, and spiritually curious agnostic boys uh, talk about Christian music, but it's a lot nicer than you think. Uh, I just listened to the episode they did with Griffin Thomas talking about a uh, Christian metalcore band. I already forgot the ch- uh, Chariots, maybe? Nah, I don't know. Chariots of Fire? No. <laughs> Uh, I know you're talking about. Yeah, but it was really good. Uh, I'm not really a, a metalcore guy, but a really interesting episode that exposed me to a genre of music I have no frame of reference for, and uh, a really good talk. So that's their most recent episode. You can also check out Dustin uh, talking about Dracula uh, and all things uh, Dracula adjacent on the Borgo cast. Uh, he just started doing that. You're on episode three, two of that? Three, technically four. There's an episode zero in there. Yeah. But yeah, so there's four shows <clears throat> in there. You dropped that true Dracula stuff, didn't you? We did the real thing. We did the actual novel. You had some with, guests on with recently. Yes, yes. Well, with uh, Heather Johnson, uh, uh, a.k.a. at Space Kitten 3000, uh, from uh, the uh, gal in Kitten Knitting, who is a... <laughs> they, they have a knitting uh, YouTube uh that's show channel. yeah channel um and she loves all things goth and she is uh the wife of robotical nick uh ah. also from uh the uh, good uh, not good trash uh red red six red six not red six to golden corral any longer for golden corral turns out to be a trademark thing yep um, oh, they get in trouble for that they didn't but they wanted to avoid it That's and fair. It, so the, it's now just the red six podcast more importantly though she's got her knitting thing her relationship to a man is irrelevant, Dustin. Yes, indeed. Indeed. Well, I'm just trying to make the He's connecting dots. I know. People. I just really like dunking on him whenever possible. Well, it's true. I, uh, made, I just made up a lie about him not liking horses, Arthur. I'm going to take my shots when I see him. The best part is he's going to forget this all in about 15 seconds, and we can do it again anyway. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and who else was on that one? I forgot. Uh, just Courtney. kidding. It's Courtney, right? <laughs> Courtney yeah. Oliphant, uh, yeah. who is uh, from Chicks with Flicks, uh, a great uh, little podcast that is now in hiatus. Uh, oh, that's that, too bad. That I talks like uh, action boy movies, but only girls talk about it which is very very fun and uh, so she's uh, also awesome and on the show and we had a really really good time and that's the episode where you guys talked about Dracula proper correct? Dracula proper next week uh, I have another guest host uh, Steve O the gutter nerd is going to talk Castlevania to me and Sweet. because I don't know much about the uh, franchise at all so that'll be the next thing coming down the old pie you also Noise. just exposed your child to the film Predator I assume that was for a bad feeling about this your, it was your web series that you have with him yes I have a bad feeling about this because he he wants to make Shane Black jokes now, and I'm very uncomfortable with all that. Technically, they're not Shane Black jokes. He's just in the movie. He didn't work on that. Well, that's true, but he's making the joke, and so I'm going to... Sh- oh, the Shane Black jokes. Makes. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Oh, no. He's too young to tell that. Well, he's the exact age to be telling those jokes, he's, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah, he, he, he really liked the movie a lot. He watched it like three times since. So, and then you uh, watched Man with the Movie Camera. That's the most recent episode, correct? M- Mo- Man with the Movie Camera is most recent, and we had a good time talking about that. Um, he does not like the idea of seeing a live bird. Earth. And uh, well, if you're gonna make him watch Shane Black talk about, you know, the the, the <laughs> Shane Black jokes from Predator, you got to make him watch Man with the Movie Camera. I, well, yeah, it seems like it's only Balancing fair. Act. It's full circle, uh, full something. Uh, Much like this movie. So, oh god, I have, there's a whole lot of Freudian imagery happening in my brain right now. 
Anyway, there's a lot of good trash um, out there for you to watch there at the Good Trash Media Network, right? See, yeah, and plugging the stuff that we do is way more fun than telling you you should be on the internet, and uh, maybe that's what this segment's going to be now. It's just a commercial for the other shit we do instead of telling you you should be on Twitter, because I cannot in good conscience recommend anybody do that ever. But you know you really should do? What's that, Dustin? Play movie games with your friends. And we are back, and we're back with this week's game, which is our favorite spooky technologies. Oh, that's right, favorite spooky technologies, brought to you by The Ring. The Ring, featuring VHS tapes, the spookiest of all technologies, because they're just really temperamental, and it's a bad picture. Nobody wants to watch any movie on VHS. I'm glad it died. Oh. That's not true. Some films are fun. To, uh, Nick Sanford and I watched... Uh, uh, started to watch the Blair Witch Project on VHS as a joke. We were hanging out one time and ended up watching like the first 45 minutes of it. And nice. It looks re- it actually looked really good on With VHS. Those little, like, well, it was, yeah. Those like tracking like, yeah. like, like lines there. Exactly. Yeah. So it's we're, a yeah. movie that doesn't need to be digitally mastered. It definitely does not. Uh, so that's what we're going to talk about. Tech that uh, is scary enough that uh, it could be uh, the, the feature linchpin of a film. So I go to you first, Arthur. What is your first selection? I'm going to say the phonograph. Okay. I think yeah. the phonograph is a very effective piece of technology. I, I, I'm choosing these based morally on uh, what I think the potential could be and uh, Same. aesthetics. And I think uh, the phonograph delivers on both of those. Um, it, it That that uh, aesthetic of playing a record on a phonograph is effective. I think it looks effective. Um, but also you can narratively do some fun stuff with it. You know, it could open a gateway. It can portray a message. It can do a number of things. Uh, and it looks great, and if it's utilized well, I, I think it's very spoopy. It can, I, if I walked into an old house and there was a phonograph in there playing, I'd be a little creeped out. It can hypnotize, hypnotize. Sherry hypnotize. Mo- hypnotize Sherry Moon Zombie in Lords of Salem. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, man. I think there's a phonograph in use in uh, The Ritual I watched last night. I believe there's one being used in there. And, they... and photographs are infinitely scarier than just a plain old record player. Correct. It's just, it's... Ugh, it's the look. It's got there's the horn. It's got a horn of, on it. Yeah, it's out of time, and it's unnatural to look at now it's steampunk which is the most horrifying thing in the world yeah so which playing technology is scarier for the phonograph is it the regular circular disc shaped record or the uh, cylindrical wax Ooh, i think cylindrical anything unnatural the more unnatural you can make it the better yeah the the more a piece of technology looks like uh, something hr geiger would give a kiss uh, the scarier it is. <laughs> it's just a, it's just a xenomorph out in space chilling with a bourbon on the rocks, listening to his uh, his phonograph. Hello, my honey. <laughs> you know the xenomorph likes uh, a lot of Frank Sinatra. Actually, it turns really? out, really, yeah, yeah, really much does. Yeah, my my comic show Valentine, guy. my funny Valentine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, Dalton, what's your number first pick? My number first pick is uh, something that's been featured in a lot of uh, Spooky Spaghetti, uh, the creepypasta, uh, a lot of uh, urban legends. It's the arcade cabinet. Uh, I think it is oh, rife. Nice. For, yeah, and it's uh, there's plenty of fun, scary writing on the internet about haunted arcade cabinets or uh, the arcade cabinet that was only... I, I wish I could remember more about this story, but... Uh, uh, part urban legend, part creepypasta about the arcade cabinet that was only at one pizza place for like a week, but every kid that played it like became obsessed with it and uh, like bled out the eyes and stuff. I think there's something again because arcade cabinets are technically still around, but they're kind of I mean, they don't have the place in our culture that they once did. I mean, they are relegated to uh, obnoxious flashback bars and Dave and Buster's pretty much. I mean, they're uh, 
uh, only a thing that uh, adults who wish they were still 15 and wish it was still 1999 uh, enjoy. And don't get me wrong, I, I love an arcade cabinet as much as the next person, as much as I'm talking shit a little bit right now. But they are kind of a, much like the, the phonograph. They're a, a piece of tech that's a little out of time, uh, like the VHS and Ring. And I, I think there's something to that, that that tech that you recognize, but still you're like, this, this doesn't belong here. Um, and I, I think the idea of a really old arcade cabinet hiding in the back of, uh, like, a Dave & Buster's where everything's a you know, giant fruit ninja or, uh, you know, a light gun game, just an old, very creaky arcade cabinet uh, has a, a lot of potential for uh, being scary as hell. All right. I like that very, very much. Uh, my my first pick is the Sinister Honorarium pick, and that is the 8mm uh, film projector. Yep. I mean, just, you know, it's it's weird. It's You've got to spool stuff, and uh, the idea of it being haunted is done to great effect in Sinister, and I think uh, the potential has yet to be fully realized. I think there's lots of opportunities to make use of old 8mm film and, uh, you know, in various ways, because it's old itself, and so it might reflect upon a time with values unlike our own, or, you know, simple, just basic haunting. And so, yeah, love me. And then just that, that flicker and the whir and the sound. Uh, you talked a lot about the aesthetics of the phonograph, and I think that there's a lot of aesthetic, sort of just general quality uh, to the use of the exciter bulb and flywheel in a 8mm projector. So this thing about with arcade cabinets, like the, uh, the pre-like, uh, the... The demo that you get that wants to give me your quarters, that kind of thing, like the flashing lights. Yeah, there's something very uh, specific about the aesthetics of these first three picks that we all have, I think. Very it's good. exciting. Yeah, fun times. Okay, number next, Arthur, what say you? I'm going to go with the Polaroid camera Ooh, itself. Oh, yeah. Um, nice. You know, I think this was played uh, with uh, by R.L. Stein with the Say Cheese and Die, um, oh, yeah. the cover art um, of that book in particular, with, with the idea of uh, kind of being able to show the worst possible outcome of a photographic kind of predicting the future. I, I think that's a fun um, idea to play with. There's just something about uh, that instant, uh, you know, before digital cameras, that instant photography um, that I think you can have great effect with as well. Um, but, yeah, I, I just think there's something about the Polaroid camera itself that works. There's nothing aesthetically about it, I don't think, except for the the film when you're developing yeah. and shaking it and what's going to be revealed um, I don't know. There's something that, about that sound, though. That that, that yeah, really, yeah. There's something about that. Yeah, uh, and so I think that would be my my next pick would just be the Polaroid camera. Nice. I think there's a lot you could do with it. Very fun, very fun. What do you say for number next, Dalton Stewart? Uh, my number next is uh, not necessarily a, a form of technology specifically, but uh, something that technology has allowed to exist, and that is uh, the podcast. Uh, <laughs> now, hear me out. Hear me out. It is very scary. Uh, well, Ar- Arthur and I were both into this podcast for a little bit, the Black Tapes, uh, this this horror themed podcast, uh, and a big part of that podcast features on uh, people hearing this piece of music that uh, uh, something to do with triggering the end of the world. And I, I think there's something interesting about the idea of a film centered on uh, look, podcasts uh, are a dime a dozen, ours included. I mean, there are so many out there that it's so easy for them to just kind of get lost and sit in the ether for a while. And I think the idea of this kind of tech-centric film is there's something about the finding of a lost artifact and the finding of a lost podcast that nobody ever heard of that it turns out has some sort of nefarious intent for your ears, I think is a it's a very creepy idea, right? And I, again, I thought of it because of this uh, Black Tapes podcast Arthur and I listened to because uh, there was one moment that legitimately creeped me out when I was listening to it. Now, just uh, I think about the idea of... Uh, a podcast uh, that creeps you out and then it turns out is going to have uh, ill intent on you and, and cause something to happen. 
Yeah, I, I think uh, the Black Tapes does play with that quite a bit, and I think it does it very well, at least early on. Um, but yeah, I think you're onto something there. Yeah, I think. I think the idea of taking that to its next logical conclusion and telling a story that is a about instead of giving you the feeling. Well, of, I mean, there is Tusk. Oh, oh boo. my! No, you guys will appreciate that movie and you'll like it. Yeah, I'm glad you didn't make us watch that. Oh, I could have. You could have. I know you do kind of like that movie. It it's been okay. a while. It's I okay. enjoyed it. It's okay. It is. I haven't watched any. Uh, if I was going to make us watch one of uh, those two horror movies, it'd be Red State. Yes. I've heard good things about Red, Red State. Red State is very I like good. Red State I haven't watched anything post-Cop Out uh, from Kevin Smith. You got to watch for, Red State. Yeah. Well, I've been putting it off for a while. Do it now. All right. Now. All right. Well, Do I it guess now. The show's done. I'll see you guys later. Bye, adult. Dustin, what's your next pick? My next pick. Um, now, let's talk about communication with the other side or with aliens or with any sort of yeah. fearful, fearful creature. And uh, the ham radio. Noise. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's that great, uh, uh, not great movie. Frequency. But Frequency, yeah, yeah. Which is, you know, James Caviezel and uh, what's his name? Uh uh, yeah, the gentleman, yeah, Pac- yeah. the Paxson? No, no, it's not Paxson. It's uh, what's his bucket? Uh, Quaid, Quaid, Dennis Quaid. Quaid. Yeah, yeah. Dennis Quaid. I think they just yeah. adapted it for TV. Yeah, I don't know uh, if they it may lasted have. longer than a season. Uh, yeah, you're right. But this idea that this this again, sort of weird shortwave, you know, obsolete radio technology, obsolete man. frequency, but that that again, the, the electrons going through your head as it opens up in the ring, uh, that there are other things that can sort of hijack, piggyback uh, on those carrier waves uh, and communicate to you, either again from the supernatural realms or uh, from interdimensional sort of spaces yeah, or baby. or space monkeys. Um, any of that was is good times, and so I want lots more ham radio. In my life, uh, from the film world, so yeah, I love me a ham radio that can talk to the fourth dimension. That's a fun idea. Yeah, and I also love a ham sandwich, but that's a whole other conversation. Man, you just remind me, I'm like really hungry. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> that's, I can't <laughs> ham radio and a ham sandwich and talking to ghosts. I mean, that's a good day, right? Well, your mileage may vary. <laughs> it may indeed depends on what the ghost has in mind. So, number last, Arthur Gordon, what say you? I think I'm going to have to say, and, and I'm saying this, it's a modern technology. It's not obsolete. It's constantly evolving. Um, but we haven't really seen it done well. We've seen it flirted with a couple times, and that's the cell phone. Yeah. I I, you I, know, th- I thought about this. I'm glad um, you did, I picked it. Because, I mean, there, there are two. I mean, Stephen King wrote Cell, mm-hmm. which was made into a very bad movie from what I understand. Um, and then there's also Pulse, I believe, yeah. kind of plays and, with this idea as well. Another Japanese uh, horror adaptation. Yeah. Um and I, I just think there's so much you can do with Untapped the cell phone. potential, yeah. There's just so many scary elements, either, you know, from something just as simple as, you know, losing a phone to go to try to find it and tracing signals or things of that nature, or something like cell where a signal is dispersed, which creates mass, you know, pandemonium and monsters. Um, but we haven't seen it done well, and that's kind of surprising. Even in kind of the early advent of cell phone, it wasn't everything ever played with. Not like it was with the internet, or not like it was with you know VHS or, or yeah. TV. I or mean, even VR, a, fil- uh, a yeah. technology we thought about the horror implications of long before we actually got good at it. Yeah, and so it's it's interesting that the cell phone itself never really got that moment in the in the sun. So mm-hmm. I, I think you could do a lot with it. Uh, kind of like Dustin said, you could have you know extraterrestrial interference, or you could you know have signals from the other world. You know there are a lot of ways you could go with it, especially with the smartphones. You know it takes over your house, or it takes over your car, or whatever. Um, but yeah, that for me, I think the cell phone has 
a lot aesthetically. I think it could work. You know, there's a lot you could do with it visually, but also just narratively. I think uh, there's a lot of untapped potential. Excellent, excellent. I like that pick very much. What is your number last pick, Dalton Stewart? Uh, my number last pick is actually something that has uh, been played with quite a bit. As with Arthur's uh, last pick, uh, cell phones, it was played with by Stephen King, and that's uh, the automobile. Um, now, obviously, that's been done a little bit, but I, I there is something about cars, uh, especially here in America where they are so integral to our ability to function in day-to-day life, uh, and yet are a piece of technology that force you into a life-or-death situation every single time you get into one. Uh, and, and there's something interesting to me about the role that cars fill in our society uh, and the fact that we don't talk about uh, it, it's it's a wrestling with mortality every time you drive one. Yeah. Uh, and I think there's something to that, 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 uh, that technology that you rely on for uh, the functioning of your life, but also your hoping doesn't get you killed. Yeah, especially moving forward. I mean, there's you know a lot of effort to try to make cars, yeah, self-driving yeah. cars. I mean, there's a lot there that can terribly go wrong. Uh, we see uh, we get to see some of that in Upgrade. You get some of that in Upgrade, yeah. yeah. Ooh. But and obviously Christine is you know very yeah, famous. Obviously. But something about the sentient car is very terrifying, uh, or the car that uh, doesn't like you. Um, especially if it's a car that can talk back. Look, I, we're, we're basically just talking about Haunted Night Rider is what we're talking about. But <laughs> nice. uh, I think there's something there. Uh, and uh, Just a salty t- Prius. It's look, just real snappy. Look, at the risk, voiced by Billy Eichner. At the risk of getting sued by Elon Musk, any car that he made is not a car that I can trust because he's kind of a, a, he's kind of a dickhead. Look, he, I, it is what it is. Uh, that's scary. The, the idea that you have this machine made by people you can't fully trust, that you can't fully know. Like, yeah, we're putting a lot of faith in things. And I like the idea of a Billy Eigner car. Billy Eigner could be scary. I, uh, he's, he's fun. He, his, his brand is played for laughs, but, uh, I could see Billy Eigner pulling off being a scary car very easily. I like that, Arthur. That's a nice touch. Dustin, bring it on home. What is the last, uh, piece of scary tech you got? Um, I want to talk about, like, the cybernetic implant. Yeah, That's, man, I mean, you need to see upgrade. I, I just I want so much more of that, and I'm thinking more in that sort of David Cronenberg sort of uh, videodrome kind of world. Yeah, that way in which it sort of inf- the, the, it, it's not simply just an augmentation to your body, but that, that it actually changes the way your body reacts, like the the way in which his hand becomes that gun, mm-hmm. and then this sort of you know vaginal opening that he develops, you know, in which For he can take VHS a beta tape or Betamax oh, tape yeah, in this right. case. But yeah, same idea though. And uh, so, I mean, I just, that kind of body horror, I I would like to see come back more and more of, because I think we're going to see more and more of that move into uh, more integrated organic technology. You're really just describing Upgrade. He is. And you should just watch it. Do you you own it? I do not. I should buy it. Yeah. You're going to have to watch it. You need to watch it. Okay. I thought about it. It was on sale the other day on Voodoo, so I thought about getting it. When I saw it in theaters, the entire time I was like, Dustin would like this quite a bit. Yeah. Oh, yeah? So, yeah, yeah, I like that stuff. You'll uh, either love it or hate it knowing our our predictions for you. Here's how I'm going to sell it to him. It's what if Videodrome and A History of Violence were the same movie. Okay, I'm in. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I'm in. Got him. Well, they're both Cronenberg, so you know, well, yeah. it, it wasn't a hard sell there. Yeah, it, it does a really good job of uh, being both a body horror film and also a revenge thriller. Okay. Yeah, it's 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 good. I'm all about that. And it's got some friggin' S tier, next level kills. S tier. S tier. You don't know about S tier? What's S tier? On a tier system, S is better than A. S is better than A. Yeah, it's a Japanese thing. I don't know. It's uh, it's. We'll talk about it later. Okay. Buddy. We'll talk about it later. Can we use numbers or something? Because your tiers go up, I guess. Yeah. It's so tier A, tier B, tier well, C, yeah. like a ladder. But yeah. So A to S, but why not like well, it's, T? It's F through A as, as 
as always, and then S is above A. F through A is the traditional scale, and okay. then S exists above A as the, the zenith. Uh, okay, the zenith. Okay, man, my job on this show is to explain the youth culture. I don't understand. I guess so. I'm just embracing my role, apparently. We're old. We're tired, and we don't care anymore. I hear the kids are all right, so that's all right. They're better than we are, that's for sure. Hey, guys, let's get down to business. And we are back, bringing some analysis to the ring. I'm very excited to be talking about this. Um, I guess the first thing, and this is what we've talked about several times uh, leading up to this point, is the idea of the viral film, uh, the viral video. What do you, what, what comments do you guys have to say about that? Man, it's weird that this movie predicted viral videos, right? It, it did. It really did. I mean, 2002, YouTube's not a thing. Uh, there were a few websites where you could go watch video, but it wasn't to the extent it is now, where yeah, things go wildly viral and spread all over the world in like two seconds and then no one cares again but yeah i mean even predates even before youtube but yeah it even predates that flash video phenomenon of like yeah. five to seven that kind of that phase yeah i mean it is it it has its finger on the pulse and i think dalton's right had it been able to kind of maybe like three years later there's just three that, years yeah, later there's things it didn't know about that it couldn't have it does such a good job of tapping into things that don't exist yet that exactly if it's just a few years later there's so much more ground it could have covered yeah and i don't know I, i'm assuming that's something that picks up obviously picks up from the japanese original but also the the book it's based on the story it's based on um and i wish i kind of know more about those elements but yeah i mean you're talking this is 2002 i think ringu's was a couple years earlier so i mean this like like 98 yeah a story element that's at play in the late 90s when that idea of the viral sensation hadn't really hit that wasn't really an idea in the popular culture sure uh, you know our idea of memes or viral things would be something would happen and then the news would play and then it would be on late night and jay leno would make fun of it or david letterman would make fun of it um you know there were things like you know where's the beef or you know there were those like little things like yeah, ad cultural campaigns. memes definitely yeah. existed but the idea of finding something being enraptured by and having to tell somebody because that's the impetus here is you know you have to tell somebody or you're gonna die um and so there it, it ups those stakes but that's really what drives viral media is that it has enraptured us so much it has impacted us so much either it's so humorous or it is so emotional or it is so heart-wrenching or terrifying that we have to show somebody it's a matter of life and death if i don't retweet this and everybody else is in on the joke right and, yeah. and that's the other element is i have to be in on it i have to be i be in the know mm-hmm. i have to know what's going on with this and i think potentially what it had accidentally tapped in what it was actually tapping into that allowed it to accidentally tap into these things was the idea of, of cult videos i mean this is still the, the really the high life of of video stores when this film was being written and developed and it's it's uh progenitor uh ringu i mean late 90s early 2000s is kind of uh the end of the golden years i mean obviously the 80s being the start of it the end of the golden years of of video stores where it is possible that a film nobody had ever gotten around to uh kind of attains cult status i mean god that's the whole reason anybody knows about the friggin boondock saints is because blockbuster uh had that uh whole deal where they bought a shit ton of them from the distributor and it you know got this cult status among uh college students that this was happening in and the then everybody had to make a copy of it on the, their well of course PCR. did you did you did this was this just my dad was this just my dad we would well um, we would rarely rent stuff it was more of a taping it off of pay-per-view gotcha. or tv or something oh, yeah. like that my dad was into the pay-per-view tapes but yeah, oh we did it all yeah my, my dad would rent an extra vcr he had a vcr would rent one from blockbuster and just steal them tapes. Mm. 
good times. I don't know. Well, I mean, we didn't really have a video store in town. I think there might have been one, but they didn't have much. So, I mean, mm. there wasn't a lot of options for renting movies there. Uh, you'd have to go out of town to another gotcha. bigger city. Um, but, we, I mean, we had a VCR, so obviously all bets are off if it was on TV or cable. But Yeah, and I think that uh, there is something there that uh, th- that is probably what this film is aware of and is, you know, accidentally predicting fe- features of the Internet. Um, is the the ease with which you can copy things, um, and now it's even easier to drag in a drop of a file. Man, it doesn't even take a, the technical know how that copying a VHS took. Right? Uh, there's really something to the ease with which, which technology allows us to spread information, uh, but with also the ways in which we are dealing with things we don't really understand. Which is what this film is getting at a little bit is uh, our desire. And Arthur mentioned this already. That I gotta know. I gotta know, and I think that there's something really cool about that. And uh, it's too bad that all the sequels of this movie are apparently not very good. I've never seen any of them, but my understanding is that is an idea they all play with: is the the uh, the quest for uh, knowledge uh, taking you to the abyss a mm. little bit. You know, I want to talk a little bit about just that word "viral," though "viral" never appears in the film. I mean, mm-hmm. that is the word that uh, culture sort of developed to talk about this. And of course, it's got a, it's got a history. It's got an etymology. Uh, the virus itself was a computer term for the computer virus in a way in which uh, illness can uh, somehow affect uh, your operating system of your um, your at-home machine. And what this film does and what social media begins to do is they, they, they adopt that language, and it begins to become a thing in which technology has um, sort of cross-species evolved in a way that it can not only affect the machinery itself, the media itself, but also we as human beings can be affected. Well, and, and I think that's what the film's doing. It's like you catch yeah. the virus. Well, it, the thing that ac- happened with the internet, it feels like, is we accidentally created the the great connective hive mind. Mm-hmm. We just didn't realize we were doing it until it was too late. And we, you know, uh, look, we don't need to rehash uh, the last three years uh, of world events, but we accidentally k- killed each other's brains, man, uh, by being mean to each other and yeah. by stressing each other out. It started slow. I mean, we had our chat rooms, we had our AIMs, and we had our message boards. It and- was all fun and games back when You've Got Mail came out, and we were all horny for strangers, and then it got weird. Thanks, social media. Yeah. But yeah, I think you're right, Dustin. This is what the film predicted, and this is what we could not have known in 2002 and really didn't even realize until social media became... I mean, God, when we started doing this show, mm-hmm. I don't think we had really fully began to understand as a society what social media really meant and what it was doing. And before it was too late, we had this sort of collective unconsciousness that really became concrete for the first time. I mean, the collective unconsciousness goes all the way back to Carl Jung. I mean, we're, this predates the Internet by a lot. But weirdly, we made it real. We breathed it into existence without even realizing we had done it. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, it's quite a thing. Yeah, and the anxiety itself, I think, is tied up in the metaphor. It is, again, this idea that uh, that, that massive infection can take place. And so we have you know, the apocalyptic genre you know, coming, uh, you know, zombies and that kind of thing, also really, really jumping ahead. And so when we start talking about what we're nervous about with regard to technology, we are worried about it as communicable disease. Yeah. And uh, that's a fascinating idea. No, and, absolutely. Uh, and just a really neat little metaphor to throw together in all of that. So let's talk a little bit about the urban legend, shall we? Um, so, hey, I hear if you watch this video in seven days, you die. 
Right. Um, and, and, and this is a moment in uh, American film, especially, in which the urban legend itself is a major driving force. Like This is the story that we tell. That's and, a couple of years after a film literally called Urban Legends. Right. And so, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Do we have any comments on the urban legend itself as a phenomenon and its sort of cinematic adaptation? I, I, I'm, I'm always intrigued by uh, folklore and urban legends like, it's just an interesting thing. They're, you know, they're the closest thing we have to modern Aesop's fables, right? It's the closest element we've got to that. You know, if you go out to make out corner, the man with the hook's going to get you, you know, or um, you know, alligators in the sewers, don't flush your pets down yeah. the drains. That, that whole element just is fascinating to me, these kind of modern-day proverbs that we've developed out of horror. And, and uh, for you know, we've talked about horror being the most conservative genre, and it, it definitely isn't. I think it's birthed out of that idea that... There are these parables, there are these proverbs that we tell ourselves to act good and be nice and don't drink, don't drive, don't have sex. You know, that whole element that's so ingrained by our conservative culture. Um, and to see it played on a film, I, I'm fascinated. We talked about it a long time ago uh, when we did Cropsy. Uh, we talked yeah, about it then because yeah. um, I'm fascinated by, it. Uh, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre puts together this this idea that People really thought Toby it Hooper, happened. Yeah, Toby Hooper tricked an entire generation. generation. Yeah, yeah. Because and, and people still. I mean, it's not gone away. People still believe it. People still think the Blair Witch happened, man. Yeah, uh, this freaking uh, Candyman. That's another one. You're playing with those ideas, and I, I love it. And I think this is, you know, here, and I was reading the trivia on this, and I don't know how accurate it is, but I guess some people started to believe that there was really a tape going around that if you watched it, you'd die in, in certain areas. It's the director's cut. Um, <laughs> it's, it's Gore Verbinski's director's cut. Yeah, it's it's great to to me that movies have and the internet. I mean, I mean, both of them have taken. I was just about to say creepy pasta, which we yeah, talked about have, earlier. Have really elevated. You know, urban legends haven't gone away, and you know, uh, these ideas haven't gone away. They've evolved, and they continue to evolve. And I think they are so tied to civilization as people who are storytellers, as people who try to. Uh, convey kind of abstract fears and thoughts, uh, the urban legend is the perfect place for that. Uh, you know, no matter what it is, if, uh, you know, if you want to be responsible, you need to be an alert babysitter and make sure someone's not calling from inside the house. You know, you don't want to mix your pop rocks and your candies and you blow up. Like, be wary of your junk food, whatever don't it is. Don't cross the streams, man. Um, and so I'm just fascinated by that element of, of this story of, of urban legends in general and, and folklore. I think they, they speak volumes about our culture and where we still get held up in certain mindsets and ideologies. I think in the cinematic telling of it, it's, it's about replication at this point. Mm -hmm. it, 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 you know, obviously it's a, a form of mass communication to massive audiences, uh, the ways in which, uh, urban legends that we grew up with and we talked about this on Cropsy as well is that we have our own versions of you know the Jeremiah's Bridge right and the Jeremiah's Bridge is always outside of your small town whatever it happens to be mm -hmm. and you're very specific as to which particular sort of you know metal trust bridge that yeah. you're using and which particular highway it's located on and the the abandoned building that was host to uh, satanic rituals yeah, right everybody's neighborhood has got the place on the outskirts of town that's spoopy and it's very very particularized and, and there's a way in which the 
this cinematic usage of it. It does generalize it, and they still maintain some sort of particularization, but it is uh, the larger, it is the urban scale. And so rather than the Jeremiah's Bridge on Highway 9 just outside of Anadarko, Oklahoma, that I heard about growing up uh, as, a, as a young person, it is now Cabrini Green, which is this huge area in Chicago, you know, where uh, the Candyman stalks. It is Seattle, Washington, and this, uh, what, hidden shelter mountain range, which I don't believe is actually real, um, where you can find, uh, you know, your connection to Samara from the ring. That's that, that replication of it and that by copying of the tape. Uh, that's how you spread the story, uh, rather than simply just repeating them around a campfire. Well, and then again, this kind of ties back into what we were just talking about with the ring predicting features of the internet. I mean, the the ability the internet has to further uh, urban legends is interesting because it should allow them to be quite easily dismissed and debunked, and yet we like being scared and we like the the not knowing if something's true right we like to read about a scary story on the internet and then go well i guess i don't need to read any further about that and i think that is part of how they have evolved urban legends now that you can very quickly debunk them they take out the specificity and they make them more vague right. and location well, i can't tell you where this happened so you don't also stumble across this this hole in the woods with perfect carpet and you know whatever the the, the creepy pasta du jour is, uh, but I, I think that is the evolution that we've been talking about of how these folklores and fables change and adapt to uh, adapt to our sensibilities and adapt to what we know uh, because there always has to be on a point a point on the map where there are dragons right and once the further the edge of the mount of the map gets we have to find a new place to put the dragons we have to find a new place to say here be the place that the spooky things live. Uh, and when you can look up, no, there's not a satanic church. It's actually just an old, you know, burned down hostel or something, you know, whatever. Uh, when you can look up what actually happened to a creepy looking abandoned building, it's just, you know, a bunch of people doing graffiti at, um, there has to be a new way to get scared. And, uh, I think, uh, tales of the dark web are a really great way to, to spread that fear. And, you know, these ideas of, look, there are places where if you go, they are uncharted and untamed and you will, uh, potentially Get yourself killed. Yeah, absolutely. At best. And, and, you know, to be an English professor for just a second and talk about what's going on uh, critically in terms of thinking and logical fallacies. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's confirmation bias at work mm -hmm. where you're looking for, you want to believe in your version of the JFK assassination, your version of space aliens, your version of uh, the big bad in the woods, whatever it happens to be, uh, that you look for that and the evidences that support are what you see and those which may discount it, you do not see. The other major logical fallacy is the appeal to ignorance, that these things are written in such a way that they are so vague that mm -hmm. they cannot be proven wrong, therefore they must be right. And uh, that's you know never going to be a thing that necessarily holds water uh, you know, in a long-term critical thinking. But uh, the, the problem with the logical fallacy, it's very persuasive if you already wish to be persuaded. And I, just, I think we cannot go any further with this particular story without looking at some fairly recent Carolina events. I want to talk a little bit about the Slender Man thing. Okay, um, yeah. You know, at, I mean, it feels like uh, yeah, that, that's relevant to what we've been discussing for the last 15 minutes or so, yeah. Yeah, and so, you know, there's a set of videos of, you know, uh, staged videos, YouTube-type videos of the Slender Man being present, and what ended up happening in, in Michigan, I believe, is the state... Or is it Ohio? Oh, I want to say it's actually Wisconsin. Um, there is a documentary about this on HBO. If you want to learn more, uh, let's beware the Splendor Man. The uh, Slender Man, not the Splendor Man. The Splenda Man. 
that. Yeah, I think it's Beware the Slender Man. The <laughs> you HBO. also have to beware the Splendid Man and if un- you want to avoid cancer. And unfortunately, there is the uh, this year's uh, narrative film, Slender, which, uh, ooh boy, ooh. it's too bad uh, they already put that into production when a bad thing happened. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there, we, let's let's try to avoid talking about it because I, I, I am with you, Dustin. I just know it was in the Midwest. I forget where it actually yeah, happened. Yeah, it doesn't matter as far as that specificity goes, although specifically, these uh, two young girls, uh, both of whom had uh, mental disorders, uh, you know, dissociative disorders and uh, and what have you, uh, were really into reading the creepypasta, believing in the legend of the Slender Man, and they attempted to kill their friend uh, in order to please Splendor Man and go to the you particular... You keep saying Splendor, and Splendor it Man, is. Slender Man, and uh, go in, off into some national forest, and uh, there they could find the perfectly carpeted room or whatever it is, um, the, the, the Black Lodge of Twin Peaks fame, yeah. uh, in which they can uh, encounter that thing. And uh, that is sort of the natural evolution of what begins here with The Ring and other films of its ilk. Yeah, ideas that uh, it was tapping into and didn't realize quite what it was tapping into because it hadn't happened yet. And that the infection spreads and in, a, in a weird way, even though it's fictitious in the beginning. Go um, watch that HBO doc if you haven't listened. It's real it's good. so good. Yeah, it's a bummer. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you there. It's sad for everybody involved. So, um, last thing I want to talk about is, again, a, a bit of a meta thing. Um, the idea that uh, cinema is assaultative and can change you. Mm. I mean, that is sort of the uh, the primary thing. that We have this uh, sort of avant-garde experimental film. Uh, it's very, very film school, uh, mm-hmm. says uh, Low Rent Breckenmeyer. And... Uh, I, I don't know if it's I don't know if it's low rent. I think it looks like a pretty good experimental film. It's a me. damn good student film, yeah. Yeah, I'm a, like, I'd vote for that one. Yeah, um, but the love I, me that spinny chair. They man. got their trick photography down. Mm. I mean, it's right there. The angle's dead on. How do they do it? I don't know. How does this fucking AV guy not know? Not parlor know. tricks? Come on, buddy. Age old cinema tricks. Uh, look, that's that's just screenwriting. That's we gotta we gotta have somebody who's an authority say that this video's scary. Yeah, well, I suppose. Uh, but here's my yeah. problem and my question: Is the avant garde always was making the argument that their filmmaking practices and techniques mm-hmm. could be so assault? Qualitative on the viewer, viewer that would bring about social change, you know, real life change in the person, and uh, it, it is no. The no. Soviet filmmakers say hi. Yeah, yeah I know, right? Uh, We've talked about this idea on the show before. Who were the, the, the big cats of this idea? I mean, idea? You know, we talk about Eisenstein, you know, of uh, the Soviet filmmakers. We could talk about Louis Bunuel, of the surrealist filmmakers, you know, and, and other forms of art, the futurists, the constructivists. Well, you got Brackage. I mean, you right, got those yeah. guys. Kenneth Anger. And... The modernists, uh, especially, you know, were, were particularly th- thoughtful that this uh, emotional experience, uh, you know, when you encounter film is going to... Sh- and it, it seems like in that way, this film is very much, um, you know, drinking the Kool Aid there and missing yeah, it. I, I think maybe the film is just kind of speaking to that idea and turning it into a horror trope. I think it just sees sees that idea of the the film that's so experimental and nonlinear that it shakes your perception and goes, "Well, that's an interesting idea. Let's make it scary," uh, because I think that is. Uh, at the root of all good horror stories is taking an idea that already exists and taking it out to the uh, degree where it costs your life. Right? I mean, a lot of avant-garde and experimental film can be very unsettling. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, I think it's the perfect time to pounce and you turn that into a horror trope. And I think it works. Yeah, I, I just, I, I feel bad, you know, because I think there was a moment at which the avant-garde began. I think about uh, the stories about the first screenings of Unchien Andalou or Lodge Door, where there are riots and people are throwing rocks and, you know, bringing loaded weapons to screenings because you don't know what sort of violence is going to break out. And I, I just don't see us 
as a society encountering cinema in such a way that uh, we're even allowing for that kind of change. People got shot at Batman, dude. Like, I mean, people go cuckoo banana pants for any number of reasons. And honestly, I think pop cinema is much more likely to affect change for the pure and simple fact that more people see it. Yeah. I think that's what it comes down to. Yep. I, yep. I see what you're getting at, though, Dustin, that yeah, we, we, maybe we're not equipped for it at all. I just want, I'm going to go off. I'm just curious about something mm-hmm. because it, it stems back from that comment. I mean, at what point did, you know, avant-garde filmmaking become the butt of the joke? Like, It's a good question. You know, he, he makes that snipe that this type of filmmaking, this experimental avant-garde filmmaking is very student film. So I, I'm just curious, do you know when does that become kind of a, within the public realm, a, a popular culture, when does that become the butt of a joke where we say, because there's an idea that it's pretentious, right? That yeah. this type of filmmaking is pretentious. It's, it's very niche. I mean, so do you know? I mean, there are these huge movements in um, avant-garde modernist filmmaking throughout the uh, the 20th century. But the, the real heyday is the 1920s. And that is where the technology itself was uh, deployed enough in society that there was enough penetration where you could get your material to whomever you wished to get your material to. And and then once sound comes in, it cinema takes this weird step back. And even though in the 1940s there are some movements towards avant-gardeism, uh, there's the new American cinema, not to be confused with uh, new Hollywood uh, cinema going on in the uh, 1950s, 60s, and 70s, that there are those moments that there's the video movement in the 80s that are going, you know, so there, there are the, all these times in which experimental um, cinema sort of comes back and says hello and then sets back again. But it never really has the same... Uh, pervasive level of influence. It never has the same saturation that you see in the 1920s. And so I would say that it ends in 1928-29. But I also think you could make the argument that uh, while this sort of fully avant-garde thing has become the butt of a joke, I think, and we've talked about this a lot on the show, but I think these surrealist elements have worked their way into mainstream cinema. I mean, if you look at the kinds of films that A24 releases or even, uh, you know, Get Out uh, from Blumhouse, I mean, I think horror and genre film have adopted even The Ring. Uh, I mean, even within the text of this film, I think genre filmmaking has adopted these techniques because they see their value and they see their usefulness, and it is usually films that are trying to either make a point, uh, whether it's uh, this year's uh, Assassination Nation uh, that are, I know I haven't seen, but I know you've seen Arthur, that, you know, a film actively trying to say something that, uh, at least from the trailer, seems to be doing some pretty uh, surrealist, avant-garde type things, some jarring things, um, or even a few years earlier, another A24 film, uh, Spring Breakers, which is actively trying to do some kind of jarring, non-linear um, things outside the norm of filmmaking. I think that's where these things have gone, Dustin. I think that is th- because they became the butt of the joke, they had to kind of infiltrate their way into uh, film as we already understood it, if that makes sense. Film as it's consumed readily. And I, and I tend to agree, and I, I think it's not a bad thing. Um, the argument that is typically made uh, from academic circles and especially from avant-garde circles is that the appropriation of experimental techniques in sort of uh, commercial narrative cinema is a uh, is a neutering. It is a uh, you know defanging 
of uh, the, the strength and power of that. And I and mean, that's the kind of thing that people say that makes people call them pretentious. Well, it does. And I mean, there there is some truth to the fact that you know you can have this sort of crazy sequence within a film that's uh, otherwise you know ideologically pretty suspect. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's definitely um, not not a criticism that lacks any validity whatsoever. However, like you say, I think there are ways in which those kinds of ideas are um, better communicated if they are made more palatable and they can be, provide gateways. I, I could see someone, if you love The Ring, I'd be like, you know what you ought to watch is Lodge Door. You know, well, more more Chen and Lou probably. Um, you know, oh, you like, well, maybe not even that. Maybe we move backward just to David Lynch. Yeah. You know, and watch Eraserhead or some of David Lynch's experimental shorts before that. And it's like, oh, you like that? Well, let's back up just a little bit further. Let's look at a little Hans Bilmer. Let's look at, you know, and, and, and just sort of the, there are ways in which these um, can be gateway drugs into uh, the real hard stuff. I mean, look, you're, you're laughing, but that, I, you're right that there is, I think that there's kind of some validity to that, that way of phrasing it. So uh, it's a good way for gauging interest in uh, the non-traditional. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I, I'm not one who's disheartened by it, but I I think we just you know we'll make the listener aware of this is part of a, a really broad conversation, and for the most part, academic film criticism. The guys that write uh, Hal Forster and others who write for October uh, Magazine, which is one of the major sort of uh, avant-garde experimental art. Uh, uh, publications produced by MIT Press um, out of Boston, uh, that they tend to poo-poo this kind of stuff. And I I am a little I less... I poo they're poo-pooing. I, so there. I, I'm just less suspicious is what I want to suggest. Mm. Well, well, there you go, guys. Is there anything else that we want to touch on with The Ring before we move on to a verdict? I think we should maybe talk about parenting a little bit, right? I mean, uh, we, we have talked Why? a lot. Well, because I think it's other than the... Although I do relate to Brian Cox, you know, the arrival of a new child does make one want to kill oneself. I agree. Is that what you wanted to say? Uh, no, I just <laughs> don't let Dustin go to my bathroom, please. Uh, I mean, I think uh, other than these, you know, these things about uh, especially with my TV, <laughs> Dustin, please don't touch the television. Uh, I, I think other than these these viral phenomenons, things that we've kind of focused on this episode, I think really the big theme of this movie is uh, parenting as it relates to your own mortality. Right? Mm-hmm. We have two sets of parents here. We have mm-hmm. Brian Cox, and I'm not sure who plays uh, Anna. Um, yeah, but we have that Brian couple. Cox, Anna, and Samara. Yes, we have that family dynamic. And then we also have the family dynamic that we don't really know um, until about, what, the halfway point when we find out, I think, that Noah's the father yeah, I think it's in about that relationship. Um, so we've got that kind of split family unit there as well. So we have those two families. Um, one is obviously torn apart, and one is brought together. We can kind of assume, I think, that's where that's heading uh, before you. <laughs> before day seven arrives. Um, so yeah, I, I, I guess it is kind of integral to the plot. I'm not a parent, so I don't know that I can necessarily speak to those elements. Uh, Dustin? Well, um, there are two things I thought about in terms of parenting. There is the idea that Naomi Watts does not want Aiden to see the movie because it's dangerous. And and I think that the parental censorship is something of a thematic there. It's like, you can't see this because it will change you and that sort of thing. And, and the other side of it is what Dalton mentioned, is just at what point do you expose a child to the uh, reality of death? And uh, it turns out death's going to come looking for you whether you want it to or not. And you might get lucky and not be six years old and your cousin die. But you don't know. And... Uh, I don't know. I, I, I belong to the school of thought. Um, I don't think death and innocence have anything to do with one another. And uh, so um, I think it's good for someone to know that one out of every one people dies as soon as possible. I know we've had this conversation before, but I can't remember if it was actually on air or not. At what point did both boys 
become aware of that that idea of death. I mean, it, I mean, you are. I mean, you do wear the cloak or the collar, not the cloak. I mean, you might wear a cloak. Do you wear a cloak? I do not wear a Jedi robe. I have no lightsaber, <laughs> therefore I do not. But you do have a collar. Um, and so I, I assume a lot of it was through funerals and things of that yeah, nature. I mean, so, so my kids grew up going to funerals. And so, they, I mean, there, there definitely was a moment where we're doing this thing that's different than regular, like, going to church. And uh, people are sad. And then realizing, oh, this is a person that died. I don't know what that means. And then, you know, eventually realizing as, you know, you live in a community of people of faith that this is a person that I once knew. I used to drink tea at their house, and now they are the person that's in the box, right? Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it, it was a very natural progression, you know. I mean, and, but it was also quite early on. I think uh, uh, the conversation I had with my oldest, he was probably less than five, just barely less than five. I'm smiling, Dustin. I'm sorry. I'm not smiling about your children learning about death. I'm smiling at the, the box comic because I just started humming, I'm the man in the box uh, in my head. <laughs> oh, a little more Allison Chains. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, but th- this idea that... You know, he's like, uh, Steve died, yeah? I'm like, yeah, Steve died. Are you going to die, Dad? Yes. You know, which is the only answer to that question. Am I going to die, Dad? The mm-hmm. answer is yes. And he's like, are you going to die first? And the only thing I could say was probably, but maybe not. And, uh, you know, and then, you know, the conversation goes on from there. You know, from my particular spiritual perspective, he's like, well, he says, and I, you know, and I tend to agree with this, well, um, but you'll die before me, but it'll be a long time till I die after that. And I said, probably, but you never know. And he goes, well, I mean, I'll be sad if you died, Dad, which it was nice for him to say. Because um, you're never sure. You can never be sure. Well, there are days now, I wonder. Uh, <laughs> he's 14 now. Uh, but then he said something along the lines of, but that's okay if you die first and it's a while because eventually I'll see you. Oh, that's just nice. And I'm like, okay, you know. And I mean, that was it was a good moment. Uh, but it was very, very young. And the same with my youngest. I mean, just been around this all the time and seen this happen. I'm like, oh, I'm sad this person died. And we've had, you know, some family members uh, also um, die. And, uh, you know, we don't use a euphemism. We don't use passed away. Died. They died. Don't use euphemisms. It's, it's not good. You know, and that they understand. And, you know, it's great, though, because when I started saying don't play in the street, you might die. They know what that means. And uh, they know that effect on them. You might cease to be. Yes. And then we have conversations about there are conditions you can arrive at that are worse than death if you're not careful. Ooh, that's a fun conversation. And uh, so we've had that as well. And so, yeah, I I think it's good to do that. But I understand the impulse to protect. But um, I think it's mistaken. And I think that's what the child understands in this film. I forget the Aiden. Aiden. Aiden understands that Rachel doesn't. Is that uh, he knows that this this spoopy spoop force uh, will keep coming and keep trying to destroy because that's what it does. You cannot appease it. What did you do, Rachel? <laughs> I love that mo. That yeah. kid, the kid be like, "I'm sorry, you did what? You helped her." It would have been nice if he'd have spoken up a little sooner. Hey, yeah, Aiden, fucking quit being so. Don't cryptic. play close to the vest. Yeah, boo. don't be cryptic, kid. <laughs> what, what's going on? Uh, quit, quit with the drawings and just let us know what's up. Bingo. Uh, but I think it is a. a I shouldn't say fun, but I, I don't know. It is kind of a fun twist. I it think is. the ending of this it's film effective. I mean, is, yeah, it yeah. works. Uh, the kid knowing uh, better than the parent the certainty with which uh, death will come, I think, is an interesting choice. And that is what the parents are trying to do is stave off death. And that's yeah. just, you no, know, can't do that one. Sorry. No, and which is, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, uh, it, these fit in line with tropes about children being more plugged in, right? I mean, that's that's a, a pretty common trope. Um but yeah, I just fo- I found it interesting watching the film that the, the parents are the ones that become obsessed with staving off death for as long as possible because 
they're the ones that are closer to dying. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that's I didn't have any other concrete thoughts, but I just yeah, I'm glad you you had some things to share, Dustin, because I wanted to throw that out there. All righty, well, let's render a verdict regarding this film: shelf or trash? Else or instead, the VHS shelf, particularly. So, what say you, picker of the film, Mister Arthur Gordon? I would say shelf. I, I do. Shocker. I do like it quite a bit. Um, and you know, it's it's probably not in the top you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 horror films for me, but I, I, I like it quite a bit. I think it's effective, and it's stuck with me, you know, obviously for over a, over a decade, almost, I guess, creeping up closer to two <laughs> at this point. Uh, wow. I'm going to move on past that. I, I think with it, there, um, I wouldn't call this a very Hitchcockian film, but uh, there are three points in it where he directly quotes Hitchcock, um, and that is the three I would I think would work with this, and that's Rear Window, uh, Psycho, and Vertigo. All Absolutely. of which I think are quoted uh, very, very directly. Um, and so check those out. I, I think they can all kind of uh, – it, it seems like Verbitsky's probably uh, somewhat of a fan of Hitchcock, and I think there's something uh, to that uh, throughout this film. And it's a very uh, interesting, I think, point in Hitchcock's career um, because those three hit pretty close together. Um, and for him to quote those three I think is an interesting dynamic. Oh, they're within three years of each other. I was going to say, they're, yeah. they're back-to-back. Um, starting with, I, I get it. I think it's Rear Window Psycho Vertigo. Is that or is uh, Vertigo, Vertigo Psycho. Psycho? Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, go watch those three films because they're all masterpieces. Um, I say I'm, that I think Rear Window's the middle one. I think Vertigo's fifty eight, uh, Rear Window's fifty nine, and Psycho sixty. If yeah. memory serves. Anyway, yeah, shelf, shelf, excellent, Hitchcock, good, good. shelf, Hitchcock, D- shelf, yes, shelf, Hitchcock. I agree totally. Um. Dalton, what say you? Shelf or trash? Else or instead? I am going to say shelf. I, I, I think, uh, if for nothing else, uh, this conversation we've had has been uh, very fruitful. And I, I think, yeah, the, the Ring is a really interesting film for uh, not the least of which because of all these interesting ideas that it kind of predicted and uh, doesn't quite fully understand it. it. I think it is a kind of an awesome cultural artifact in that regard. Uh, and also, yeah, it's it's uh, real damn pretty. Uh, and has lots of wild imagery, like trees on fire and stuff. It's, uh, yes. it's cool as heck. Uh, you should definitely check it out. What should you pair with it? Um, I think It Follows is obviously a great pick. Uh, we referenced it a couple of times. Uh, but I, I think uh, taking the nature of the viral ghost and making it uh, an allegory for uh, sex and sexuality is really interesting. Um, we've obviously discussed It Follows in a previous Shocktober. Uh, it's one of the best episodes we've ever made, honestly. You should go check it out. Um, what else? Uh, Sinister. Dustin mentioned it earlier. Um, I, I I actually prefer Sinister to The Ring. Um, so there's that. Take that with a grain of salt. But I, I think Sinister is great. And the reason I think Sinister is great is because it is uh, taking... Uh, it's more... It's doing more with that obsolete technology idea, right? The ring isn't really doing anything with that. VHSs were still uh, in pretty wide distribution in 2001, 2002, so it's not really playing with that. Uh, Sinister is definitely playing with the idea of uh, of finding a box full of Super 8s being inherently creepy because where did these come from? Nobody makes these anymore. And, um, I, yeah, I just love that movie. I think Ethan Hawke is, uh, is great as a scared uh, a scared dad. Um, that's just a film I like a whole, whole lot, and I think it uh, shares some DNA with The Ring. Um, finally, I am going to recommend a- another film about trying to outrun death, and that is Final Destination 2. Um, <laughs> two, no two. less. I like the second one. I, I like the, the set piece on the highway is buck wild. Um, again, not a good film, but a film... F- if the, if you like the idea of The Ring, if you like the idea of death coming 
uh, and trying to stave it off, but you want more violent kills and just kind of an overall sillier tone. I think the Final Destination movies are pretty fun. I agree. The first two are a lot of fun. Uh, the third one, I vaguely remember. It's uh, a roller coaster, right? It's a roller coaster one. That I think is Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Uh, early role for her, actually. I think she's the lead in that. Uh, that one's kind of fun, too. I have an affinity for the first one because Ali Larder. Oh, yeah. Man, Ali Larder's great. What happened to her? That's too bad. Well, a lot, a lot of Hollywood. Yeah, Hollywood will do that. Uh, the first one's fun. I didn't see the first one until years after it came out, but uh, two was the the first one that I saw and just really uh, stuck with me. There's that garbage disposal scene. Who man, uh, a lot of red herrings in that. The scene. fire escape in that one. Yep, yep. that's the that's the end of how okay. that garbage yeah. disposal yeah, scene yeah. ends. That's the thing that's so fun about these movies is these Rube Goldberg machines of uh, death that uh, the the movie creates. Uh, they're a real hoot. Uh, and uh, I, I like the way in which the the film will deploy red herrings to make you think somebody's going to die one way, uh, and then have it happen another way. It's it's good. So yeah, not nearly as good as The Ring, but uh, definitely playing with some similar ideas and a very fun time. So shelf, and those are my recommendations, Dustin. Uh, what you got, bud? What you Shelf. Yeah, I like it. It's all very around fun. for the. To, what a what a nice way to start Shocktober. Absolutely, I approve. I think we should watch The Cell with this movie. Mm. Um, I think just in terms of pure visuality, like we can just uh, watch The Cell again uh, because The Cell is so good, mm. right? Um, also, uh, the uh, anthology film series VHS, the first one with yeah. Ty West, uh, has got a piece in that, and it, 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 the whole sort of wraparound narrative is that these guys are breaking this house, they're watching these VHS tapes, and these terrible things are going on, and I, I think that's really interesting, and I think it's it's maybe semi disposable, but I think it's a really good time. And uh, I think it. it plugs into the uh, obsolete technology things we've kind of talked about throughout this episode. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And then I think a little bit of a classic assaultative hoarder. Um, you got to look at Unchian and Delu. I, I, I think I, I think that's where we got to go with what's going on with this little experimental film. Is you've got to look at the sort of granddaddy horror film of the mall that was trying to bring about a uh, a rupture in a re- sexually repressive and capitalist uh, hegemonic state and uh, trying to uh, change the whole world with a uh, cinematic experience. So it's about sixteen minutes long. It's on YouTube most of the time. Uh, sometimes there's a version of it on Netflix that's a lot cleaner. Um, but uh, check out Unchien Andalou uh, translation and Andalusian Dog directed by the late, great Louis Boonwell. That's a German Shepherd. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, no, it is. Yeah. Yeah, I just... That's a fun thing to know. So. All right. Well, we got this off to a nice start. Uh, I think we're going to do one more. I'm going to do one more. Yeah, you're going to have to because you're picking the movie. I Our cinematic fates it. are in your hand. Yeah, what's, I, what's spooky thing? Uh, we we have put him on a leash somewhat, but uh, well, we did. Well, look, we'll we'll be closing this marathon out with uh, a film that is both a classic horror film and a foreign horror film and artsy and an artsy horror film. And those are uh, usually the the wells that Dustin go to goes to for his horror picks. And we said, nope, you can't do it. We're doing something later this month. So we, yeah, Arthur is right. We've we've restrained him a bit, and I'm still cur- I'm curious what he's going to do to us. I, I'm 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 sitting here even now. He's a man of many tastes, which is the danger. Yeah, That's I, exactly there are right. many things I like. He, he could go schlocky. He could go, you know, uh, marquee horror film. Uh, he can he can do it all. He's versatile. He, he, that he is. So I am going to do. I'm going to do the bad thing because I think it's a movie worth talking about um, in terms of its historical moment. And ah, I think in terms fuck. of. <laughs> He's well. Look, he's he's got this whole like lead up spiel for it, so you know it's not very good. I was really hoping you would do the not bad thing. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I I think it's I'm not. I'm very bad. excited to hear what this is. 
I want to do paranormal activity. Oh, okay. Oh. That's a wow. Yeah, interesting. You're right. No, a good historical artifact for sure. Yeah, very, I, very good. Yeah. yeah I wanna... why, why is that a bad thing? I think it's. I think it's much. I think it's maligned unfairly. In fact, I will say. Okay. I didn't even know it was maligned. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, well, found footage itself. Yeah. I, I think the franchise uh, kind oh, of yeah. hurt That'll it. do it. But yeah, that'll that'll make people underwrite the first film, I think. Um, so, Paranormal Activity, the first. Interesting. Okay. Very exciting. And so, if you want to watch the other two, and, uh, not, yeah, the other two. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, is that where you stop? <laughs> two I, and three. I like three a lot. I like three a ton. And I almost said it just because of the VHS connections to this. But, uh, we're going to, I'm going to only make the call for Paranormal Activity itself. But if there's any ancillary, auxiliary, uh, appendix viewing, um, we can discuss that as well. But okay. I, I, I leave that to you, my dear co hosts. So, so, uh, yeah, I'll do one more, and I'll do that. Well, that is, and I think Arthur, I can take as you mentioned, that is kind of our, a marquee horror film. Yeah. Um, on accident. And I think, I'm sure we'll talk about that next week. So, uh, more on that. We're going to have more conversation about horror. This uh, Shocktober train keeps rolling right Ooh. along. You keep watching. We'll keep talking. And we'll see you all next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Good Trash Genrecast, brought to you by the Good Trash Media Network. For all things Good Trash, head on over to GoodTrashMedia.com. Our intro music is made by friend of the show, Aaron Rodgers. And our outro music, in honor of Seattle, in honor of holes, in honor of sadness and all things awesome, it is Down in a Hole by the great band, Alice in Chains. Yeah.